Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This week on Into the Archives with the Boone Podcast, we're staying with the NFL. Uh, One of the most colorful quarterbacks of all time is a two-time Super Bowl champion, a pro bowler. Uh, Remember that Super Bowl shuffle with the Bears 1984, the one and only Jim McMahon. Sometimes you just need to enjoy a classic. Join us as we go into the archives. Hey, we going back. And put our ear to the history books with this one. This is Into the Archives. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim McMahon. Jimmy, thanks for coming on the program. Hey, no worries, Brett. How you doing? I'm doing good. How's your golf game? It sucks. Oh, mine's horrible too. My back, my back hurts. I used to, I used to play three, four times a week. I'm lucky to get three, four times a month in now. Yeah, I'm getting my, uh, I'm getting my ankle done on uh, day before Thanksgiving, so I'll be laid up for a while. Hopefully, next summer my game will come around. <laughs> All right. I was checking before we came on it. I was looking up a little Jim McMahon and uh, tell me about you as a baseball player. Never knew that. Uh, how good were you? Well, that's all I ever wanted to do was play baseball. I thought I was a better baseball player, and I, you know, football was just kind of do something to stay in shape. But uh, I loved the game of baseball. I was uh, when I went to college, I wanted to go play, go to a place that I could play two sports. And uh, the only two schools that said I could play both sports was BYU and Nevada, Las Vegas. And uh, my first choice was Vegas, of course. <laughs> but I came home from that, that trip, and my dad said, no, you're not going to Vegas. It's not a big enough school, this and that. And I'm like, oh, Pops, you know, at least I want to have a little fun in college. But uh, it all worked out. Yeah, I think he chose the, the, the right way to go. All right. Jim McMahon, you grew up in San, Ho- San Jose, California, until uh, we get into your high school years. But I, I just want to hear, give me a little uh, Jim McMahon as a kid, childhood growing up. Well, I grew up, I had two brothers, or yeah, two brothers, three sisters. Um, <clears throat> we had, um, you know, we were always out playing sports. My dad was our coach pretty much until we got to high school. You know, he coached us in baseball and, and little league football, stuff like that. Um, I was probably a little bit of a hoodlum back then. Uh, you know, I think I had a police record when I was 12 years old, and, you know, messing around at the schools and stuff. And uh, my dad was almost going to send me to military school. Um, and then, then his job moved him to Utah, my junior year in high school. I just started as a sophomore there and I was uh, looking forward to the next couple of years. And then, uh, he said, well, we're moving to Utah and my older brother got to stay. He's 11 months older than me. He got to stay and finish out his senior year in California. And I had to go to Utah and, and, uh, play my last two years of high school ball there. So, uh, quite a, quite a culture shock going from San Jose to, uh, Roy, Utah, <clears throat> It's it is amazing because I, I I read that and I'm thinking you know I had a I had a similar thing for me in high school you know I but but I was going from east I think it's easier going from <clears throat> east coast to west coast you know from I, I grew up in Jersey and and uh, my dad after my freshman year in high school he gets traded to the California Angels so he you know he kind of tells the family hey. Yeah, we're going to Southern Cal. Now I'm a Jersey kid. I'm going, no way. I'm now all my friends are here and I'm pissed and I go kicking and screaming. Ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. 
But you're right. It, when we're in those years, you know, we're 14, 15, 16 years old. And and Pop says, hey, we're moving to, to a new place. I couldn't imagine going to Roy, Utah from California. But, uh, you know, I'm going from Jersey to California. It took me about six, seven weeks. And I said, ah, California might be pretty cool. But going the other way, a lot different. But you go there and you, and you play your junior and senior year. Now, uh, you're playing baseball at the time as well, correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I got uh, played football and baseball there at high school, and uh, you know when I got to BYU, actually, I got I played my freshman year. I played about eight games, uh, and I was playing in the outfield and and throwing the ball from the outfield and throwing the ball from the pockets, two totally different things. And uh, you know, I'd, BYU said I could play baseball, but they didn't say I couldn't get out of spring football practice. So I would play a game of a doubleheader then have to run down that big ass hill and then change uniforms and go throw the football for three hours straight. So, uh, after about eight games, my, I was starting to have a little bit of arm problems. And, uh, and since football was my scholarship, I had to give up baseball and that's, and that's all she wrote about that. We had it too. And you talk about the, the throwing most, it is different being a quarterback. And, and I played with my freshman year at USC, uh, my teammate was Rodney Pete, and that was his, you know, senior year. And he was, you know, big guy. <laughs> they were winning Rose Bowls, and they said, "Hey, Rodney Pete's your third baseman." And I'm like, "Oh, I can't wait!" You know, I'm on, I'm a freshman on an SC campus, thinking, "Oh, the Mister Celebrity's coming to my team." And and he came. He was a really good baseball player, but he wouldn't. He would do. He was all football, and then all of a sudden, he just popped, you know, popped to practice one day, and and he's our third baseman and didn't miss a beat and was an All-American as a baseball player, he just he just told me, he said, Brett, it's just, he was kind of the opposite of you. He said, my first love was football. I love playing baseball, but it wasn't that important to me. I think he got drafted four times baseball-wise and just never took him up on it and ended up going to football route. You know, and as, as with yourself, it's probably the correct way to go for you guys. But it was amazing to me. Because I was a second baseman my freshman year in, in college. Then went on to play short. But I'd turn a double play coming from Rodney. He would throw me a spiral. And that ball, would I've never seen a, a, a ball coming at me like that from another player. And, you know, it made sense. But it, it's completely different. You think everybody would say, well, Rodney Pete, he must have a cannon. I said, he really doesn't. I said, he throws spirals to me on the double play. It kind of throws me off a little bit. <laughs> It, it, it was it was amazing. So BYU freshman year, you pretty much were a punter. <laughs> that, yeah, that, I, if I, if I, if I'm to, if I'm correct. Yeah, I was able to make the varsity squad as the punter, and uh, ended up being the third team QB that year. And uh, you know, our starter got hurt. I think the fourth game of the year, so I became the backup right away. And and uh, I was still punting, and then. Uh, I only played a couple of games my freshman year, a couple of series, not a whole lot. But uh, my sophomore year, Mark Wilson and I, uh, you know, we split time. I ended up uh, being uh, making an all-conference squad as a sophomore. And then they redshirted me right after that. And so because uh, Wilson had another year to go and they wanted him to play, I guess. So they redshirted me. And so that was a very frustrating year. Uh, and I didn't didn't get a whole lot of schoolwork done. I didn't graduate actually till about six years ago. And I was there for five years. Should have graduated, but since I didn't get to play that year, I didn't go to school either. So I got a little bit behind. <laughs> so Mark Wilson's the starter. Uh, take me into the going from high school football to college football. How complex is that? I know that the you know I hear about it at least from from NFL quarterbacks how that transition from college to pro learning a new system it's it's a lot more intricate than than you would think you got to actually live it and go through it but how is that for you in college did is how necessary is it to get that tutelage when you first get to college under a starter and kind of learn the system or or wasn't it a big deal for you now for some reason I always picked up uh, offenses, you know, to me, it wasn't that difficult. You know, <laughs> you got five guys that all they could do is block. And, uh, you know, I figured out early on that defense can always send one more than you can, than you can block. And if you can figure out who that guy is, it's a pretty easy game. And it was always easy for me like that. Um, I had great coaching in college. Uh, I learned more in college than I ever did in 15 years of pros as far as 
learning of offensive and defensive football. And so I think I was much better prepared when I got to the pros uh, because I had learned so much about defenses because uh, we threw the ball all the time. You know, we were we were throwing it like they're doing it now, you know, 50, you know, 40, 50 times a game. And we were doing that back in the 70s. So I, I think I was much more ahead and, and I was able to play quicker because I knew I understood the game. I, under, knew, I understood what defenses were trying to do and and. Um, you know, to, to me, like I said, it wasn't that it was never that difficult. Eighty, eighty-one. You finally get that opportunity where you're the starter. Um, you're setting all kind of school records. You're an All-American both years. Uh, go to the Holiday Bowl. You end up winning two two MVPs back to back years there, and uh, I believe in the first in the first Holiday Bowl, they call it the Miracle Bowl. You beat SMU with Eric Dickerson uh, down twenty. With four minutes to play, and it was yeah. that kind of the was that kind of the beginning of, of the Jim McMahon we know today. Well, I mean that was a game that was uh, you know they SMU at the time was the best team money could buy in college at the time. They had an unbelievable football <laughs> team. Uh, they probably had eight first rounders on that team, and um, you know I was just glad I was just happy to to finally win a bowl game. You know Lavelle had gone to five or six before that, and not one. And uh, everybody didn't think we were going to win that night either. And so, uh, you know, late in, late in the game and, and uh, we're going down the field and we're, we're down, you know, I think it was 20 or 25 or 6 at the, at the time. And we get a fourth down and the coach sends in the punting team. And I wouldn't come off the field. I told the offense to get in the huddle. And they said, here comes the punting team. I said, I don't care. Get your ass in the huddle. We're not leaving and so they had to they had to burn our timeout because I wouldn't get off the field. And I came over and started, you know, uh, arguing with the coaches and saying, "What are you guys doing? Give it up? I mean, if we kick now, we got no shot at all." And I said, "I'm not going down, you know, punting." <laughs> and so uh, he let me back in the game. We get the first down, go down and scored. Uh, kicked an onside kick. We got it. We went down and scored again. And then uh, we got kicked another onside kick, and they got it. And so uh, we hadn't stopped them all night. You know, Craig James ran, I think, for over 200 yards. Dickerson had over 100 yards. But that uh, that series, we finally stopped them. And uh, they were punting. We blocked the punt. We get the ball back on the, around the 50-yard line and had time for three plays. And the first two weren't very good. But the last one uh, ended up in my tight end's hands for a touchdown. Ended up tying the game. The kicker comes in, kicks the extra point, and we win. So... It was a pretty exciting finish. Pretty awesome. The Holiday Bowl, uh, the next year you beat Washington State. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, your MVP of the both of the Bulls. BYU, you know, a lot out there. I went to USC, completely different animal. Um, what was it like on the campus of BYU? And is it all that, that I would think it would be being an SC guy? The Mormon yeah, and <laughs> it's all that and it's all that and more. Um, yeah, it was not a. It was just a very strange uh, atmosphere to me. I mean, especially growing up in San Jose. You know, I grew up with the brothers and the Mexicans. I didn't know anything about Mormons. Never even heard the word Mormon. I don't think. Um, and so it was. A, it was just a different atmosphere. Uh, the sports were great. You know, great facilities, great coaches. Uh, I never really had a problem with any of my teammates. And uh, it was just a just a different atmosphere, you know. I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on campus, like I said before. I think I had a a 2.0 just so I could play ball. You know, I went to enough class to to have a 2.0, and and uh, I just concentrated mostly on on you know keeping myself in shape and and playing ball. I didn't really get into the campus life all that much. That year, uh, your fifth overall pick with the Bears. And, uh, you know, start a new life. You go from, from BYU to, to, uh, to Chicago. Coaches Mike Ditka. Um, how was that first year for you coming in? You said going to college wasn't a big deal for you. You had that innate ability to just pick up offenses really quick. You kept it simple. Same thing going uh, from college to pro. Because you started right away. I mean, you, from, the get, from the get-go, you were the guy. Well, I didn't start the first uh, first two games my rookie year, but I think I started after that. But, um, yeah, when I first got to Chicago, um, it wasn't like, you know, they had a couple of Hall of Fame guys there as quarterbacks. You know, Vince Evans, a USC guy, was there. 
um, and Bob Avellini, and they'd been in the league, I don't know, five, six years. And uh, I really didn't know anything about Chicago. You know, all the all indications were I was going to go to Baltimore. Baltimore picked right before Chicago. And uh, I'd been back to Baltimore two or three times, having dinner with Johnny Unitas at his restaurant, you know, talking to me about how they're going to, how I'm going to love the city of Baltimore, this and that. But I had forgotten, I told my agent, I really didn't want to go to Baltimore. And he didn't tell me that until draft day. Uh, when it was time for Baltimore to draft, and they, you know, Pete Roselle got up and said, all right, Baltimore selects quarterback, so I'm thinking it's going to be me. And they said, Arch Schleister, Ohio State. And I went, whoa, that's kind of a surprise. I had no idea who was picking next, which was Chicago. And then I got drafted by them. So I was, I was happy I didn't go to Baltimore and, and had no idea what uh, Chicago would be like. I knew my folks had met in Chicago during the, in the service back in the 50s. My older brother was born there. And other than that, my, uh, the only, rec- or only thing I knew about Chicago was the, uh, the movie Brian's Song. You know, I'd say that, so I knew who Gerald Sayers and Brian Piccolo and Dick, Dick Buckus were, but that was about it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, man, Chicago, it's, it's a different soldier field, uh, just an iconic place. The, Back then, and and I know it's probably different today with today's draft picks, but you really didn't know. You went into you went into the draft. Take me through the draft day for you, knowing that you're going to be a a high pick. But it's not narrowed down. To, you don't know your agent doesn't call you before and go, Jimmy, you're going to Chicago. So this is all just rudimentary to watch this. You you really didn't know. You expected when they said quarterback, you thought your name was going to be called, and it wasn't. So it's. I don't know. I don't know if it's that way now, but but back then you you were just waiting until that phone rang or you heard your heard your name on ESPN. Right. Yeah. They didn't bring, you know, the all the big high choices up to New York back in the day. Yeah, I was just sitting in the, the house that I stayed at my senior year and sitting there with my family and uh, watching it. And uh, that's how I got informed, uh, how I was how I was picked. You know, once once uh, Baltimore passed on me, I was like, wow, I don't even know where, where I'm going to go now. And then the very next pick, Chicago takes me, and I get the phone call. And a um, couple hours later, I'm on a flight back to Chicago to meet uh, with George Hallis. And I, I, I get to the, uh, you know, I just took a three-hour flight from Utah to Chicago. Then I'm, I'm in the limousine for an hour up to Lake Forest. And uh, there was some beer in the limousine, so I decided to have a few pops. And it wasn't like I was 18. I was 22 years old. And so when I got out of the limo, there was a couple of beers left on the string. So I took them with me and uh, I, I forgot all about the press. As soon as I got out of the limo, all the press was there. I'm standing there with beers and they're like, oh boy. And there's Mike Dicka was walking in the door as well. And he, he looked at me and said, so you're my first round pick, huh? And I said, well, I guess so. I, didn't, I really didn't know who he was. <laughs> That is awesome, though. How how was that at the beginning with Dick? He's got you know you got the hard ass uh, coach. You got you walking in with beers. Did what what was it like your relationship with him from the get go? Well, at the beginning, I, I think it was pretty good. You know, I think he did a hell of a job. Uh, we had a lot of six, seven, eight year veterans just kind of hanging around collecting checks, and he got rid of them all. You know, he told, he told everybody in the first meeting, he goes, Hey, he goes, the good news is he goes, we're going to the Super Bowl in the next three or four years. And he says, the bad news is most of you guys ain't going to be here. And he was right. He got rid of pretty much half the team and, and uh, brought in a bunch of guys that wanted to work. And we worked. I mean, he was a hard nosed, you know, old school type of coach. And we were in pads every day, uh, six weeks of training camp twice a day. And then um, during the season, we had pads on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. And all of our drills were live. We didn't do any, you know, buddy-buddy sessions. Everything was live. You know, we had Buddy Ryan, the defensive coordinator. Mike was the, you know, <laughs> he thought he was the offensive coordinator. And so they didn't want to give an inch. And uh, so our practices would last, you know, probably three, three and a half hours just because there was fights every play. And uh, and then after that, he'd run us to death. So, I mean, he worked us he worked us a lot. And I think that's why we didn't win as much as we did because we were just tired. You know, you play four games a week, you get pretty tired. You know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was like game day. So when Sunday came, it was like a, you know, like a day off. We couldn't wait to hit somebody else. 82, uh, you start seven games. Your offensive rookie of the year. Uh, 
your your fresh your, well not your freshman season your your rookie season I uh, start 13 games 83 84 uh that that was kind of telling what that team was going to be uh, I think you did you lose to Montana and the Niners that year 84 in the championship, in the championship game? game yeah yeah but that that was kind of a kind of a I don't know look into I what what I would assume is coming for that Chicago Bears team. I mean, I'm looking at this Chicago Bears team. That's it was an unbelievable team. You go into 85 and that's that's where the magic hits. Uh you start 11 games that year. Your team ends up going 15 and 1. And um in training camp that year before the before the 85 season, did you did you know what was about to happen? Did you have a feeling yeah, well, we knew in 84 we were going to be good, and we were good. I mean, we were – I think we were 7-2 and two when I got uh, I got my kidney – half my kidney torn off, and uh, we ended up that year at 10-6 and six and going to the NFC Championship game. Uh, so we, we knew we were going to be good. And then so coming back in 85, we just, you know, we just said, hell, just try to stay healthy. Everybody try to stay healthy. We're going to, we're going to be good. And we were. You know, we were 15-1. and one. Um, won the Super Bowl. The following year, we were 14 and two. We had the best record in the league for you know four straight years, and we had home field advantage four straight years. And we just uh, we just laid an egg in the uh, in the playoffs at home. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, when, if I transfer this to baseball, when I was going over those Bears teams of the 80s, I was thinking Atlanta Braves of the 90s. You know, what an unbelievable team they end up getting. You know, I got I played for the Braves one year. We got whooped in the World Series. But I look back at those teams and I'm going, how did that, th- that group of Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, how did they only win one World Series? And I was looking at this Bears team getting ready for this for this. Uh, chat and then i'm thinking man that bears team reminds me they, they were just dominant and you won that one super bowl but uh that's why you know pro sports it's so tough and i get asked all the time you know about world series and i respect it so much just like you know i would a super bowl everybody doesn't get the tom brady eight eight rings or whatever everybody doesn't get Derek jeter's five rings it's right place right time with a right group right. of guys and, and it's so hard to win you know, let alone get there. I played with, and I'm sure you have too in, in uh, the NFL. I played with so many great baseball players that not only did they not win a World Series, they never got to a World Series. So when I see that that fall classic every year, I just think, man, it, I see those guys celebrate and I say, enjoy that because that's, that's a rare thing and it's not, you know, something that, oh, that yeah. just happens. Uh, I want to do a little yeah, rapid would, fire would, with that. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say I would have bet the house on us back in the late days to, to repeat, and and uh, because we we were that good, and we just uh, unfortunately we just had bad. You know, we didn't have those seven game series. You have one bad day and you're done. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we had the bad days in, at the playoffs. A uh, lot of a lot of interesting teammates you had on those teams. A lot of characters. A uh, little rapid fire. Just give me a little brief. Uh, synopsis of each guy uh we'll start off with walter payton uh, great teammate great player uh just enjoyed you know i didn't like handing the ball off all that much but uh <laughs> just to hand it off to him and watch him do his thing was was amazing i mean especially the first two years i was in the league he was uh you know he'd make a 30 yard run and only gain two he'd be bouncing off guys from sideline to sideline and he just did not want to be tackled. And, uh, but just the strongest guy I've ever met in my life and just, uh, uh, a joy to play with. Mike Singletary. Very intense guy. Very, uh, very studious guy. Um, you know, he was, you know, he didn't take any plays off. He didn't not even in practice. I mean, he was, he was going a hundred percent in practice, very dedicated guy. Uh, another great teammate. Willie Galt. Oh, boy, he's the fastest guy I've ever seen run. And he still, that's all he does now is he runs wherever he goes. He's running. And uh, just just amazing to, to to see the acceleration and to see him, you know, go get balls and, and just to see him run. It's just, I remember he ran a kickoff back against the Washington Redskins in 85. And for some reason, the whole team had to watch the uh, special teams reel that day. And even in slow motion, Willie was running faster than everybody else. It just, it was incredible. Fun to watch. Refrigerator Perry. Now, Fridge, he was just one big happy fat guy. I mean, he just loved, he just loved life. I mean, he was always smiling, always having a good time. Um, I didn't like the way he would, he would grab at the ball when I'd hand it to him. I'd tell him just, you know, put your arm up. I'll stick it under one of those flaps and, and, and then you cover it up. Don't grab at the ball. I mean, he would grab it like he was going for a cheeseburger sometimes. It just about ripped my arms off. But he was a lot of fun to play with. Finally, Richard Dent. Richard, and I'll tell you what, he's he come a long way from his rookie season. You know, he came in the league as a very under, you know, uh, uh, what he, undersized, I guess you would call it. I think he only weighed about 220, 230 at the time. And, um, but a great acceleration. I mean, he a hell of a pass rusher. And then we all found out that he had, he had bad teeth growing up. And once he got his teeth fixed, he started eating better and he got, he got a heck of a lot bigger and stronger. And, uh, he, you know, he's in the hall of fame, hell of a football player. Magical year. You said, you know, we mentioned earlier, 15 and one, you win the super bowl. Uh, you're a pro bowler. And uh, take me through that city of Chicago that you said on draft day, you didn't know what to expect. You, you, you had a little bit of inkling what Chicago is like, but I can imagine I, you know, I played a lot of games there at Wrigley and, and Comiskey. And I, I remember when the Cubs won, you know, what was it? Four or five years ago, uh, that city was going crazy, but that it's just, it seems to me as much as Wrigley's iconic and it's the Cubs and all that, that soldier field on it during the winter when it's snowing during football. So it seems like, I don't know, something pretty special. It had to be an unbelievable year in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, Chicago's, they're very uh, knowledgeable fans, you know, if you just, and they're, they're big, Chicago's a bear city. I mean, even the, you know, the Bulls it really, won six it really is with MJ, you know, the Cubs finally won after a hundred something years, but, uh, they live and die with the, with the bears and, uh, they're very knowledgeable people. All you got to do, if you play for the bears and you play hard for them, they'll love you. And they understand who plays hard and who doesn't. And if you play hard and you win, they'll love you forever. And that's, you know, it's been 30, 36 years since we won. And I, when I get there tonight, I'm sure I won't have to buy too many beers. So it's, it's always been always fun to go back to the city. And uh, they've always treated me well. And I lived there for 28 years. So um, you know, it's a big part of my life. Uh, Super Bowl shuffle. I mean, if you're if you're under 
uh, or if you're over 40 years old, you can't help but remember that. That was kind of the MVP or the uh, MTV days. Uh, who came up with that concept? You got you got Jimmy out front, the shades on. You, I mean, today in well, 2000, was, two, 2021, it's funny to watch. But I mean, that was that was everything. And and the thing is, I think I read, didn't that come out before the Super Bowl? Oh yeah, we did that in uh, I think early November. So that comes out two months or a couple, whatever, six weeks before the Super Bowl. Now you win the Super Bowl. It's like, what are people going to say to you? You don't win it, and you got egg yeah, on your face. Gonna, how was how was that? Look like idiots. Well, what, what what happened was it was Willie Galt's idea. Willie had a friend in the music business, and uh, he came to us and he said, "Hey, we want to do this, do this little thing that all the proceeds are going to go to feed the homeless for Thanksgiving and Christmas." So we're thinking, okay, you know, it's a, it's a nice thing to do for Chicago. Uh, we had no idea what it was going to turn into or, um, in fact, you know, that when they came to us, they said, we're just going to do a record deal. We're just going to make a record. And so we're okay, we'll, we'll do the record. So we, we all go and we go to the studio, we all do our parts. And about two weeks after that, Willie came to us and said, Hey, now we have to do a video. And we're like, no, that wasn't part of the deal. You know, the deal was we're going to make a record. And he says, well, no, no, when you make a record now, you have to a video, you have to do a video with it. And we're like, well, that, that wasn't part of the deal. And so Walter Payton and I both told him, you know, we're not doing it. We're not going to do a video. And so they decide to make this video the day after we lose our only game in 85 to uh, Miami on a Monday night. We're down in Miami. We lose. We fly back to Chicago. We get home probably 3 or 4 in the morning. Uh, the guys that, that were, did the video, they went, they had to be at the studio at nine and they were there for about, I think about eight hours and Walter and I didn't go. We told them we weren't going. And so, uh, about a week after that, Willie came to us right before practice one day and said, Hey man, if you guys don't do your part, we're going to have to sue you. <laughs> we're like, sue us. How can you sue us? That wasn't part of the deal. So anyway, what you see on that what you see on that video is one pissed off white man doing his part after practice one day in the racquetball court at Hallis Hall. Uh, Walter and I both did our parts in the in the court, and then they superimposed us or whatever they do with the television and and got us in there. But uh, yeah, people still bring that up uh, everywhere I go. I, I still people you know people talk about it. And, but yeah, have we lost? We'd look stupid, but uh, it, it looked kind of prophetic after after now. I know you heard about it a million times. Uh, the headband in 85, the Roselle. Um, Adidas was an official sponsor. It's funny because today's sports, it seems like anything goes. I mean, you know, I look on the baseball. We got a, we got a guy wearing pearls in the World Series. You can wear any. <laughs> I, I played for the Cincinnati Reds, and it was like, okay, you, they've got to be two – your stirrups have to be two inches from the top of your pant leg. You can only wear all black spikes. I look at the guys today, and it's like they're wearing pink, blue – anything goes. Back then, it wasn't like that. Um, you end up you end up doing some things with that headband, that, some pretty cool stuff, you know, the, the three that you ended up wearing for juvenile diabetes and, and the POWs, MIA, and Pluto, a friend of yours at BYU, but – but how was that when that first went down? And and I heard Roselle actually, uh, he actually thought it was funny when you put his name on it. Well, what happened? Yeah, I did. I got uh, I got fined in the first playoff game in '85, and I had been wearing that Adidas headband for at least two years, and nobody ever said a word to me about it. I had no idea that you know Adidas wasn't paying the NFL or you know however however they do that sponsor. But that wasn't my fault. You know, I was wearing Adidas when I first came into the league. I'm still wearing, you know, I was worn pretty much my whole career. So they, they end up finding me five grand for that headband. And I'm like, wait, they can't do that. And then so the next week I, I had it on in pregame. And uh, I was getting a lot of heat from the refs. So I came in that five minutes just before kickoff. And I grabbed a, a plain headband. I'm thinking, what can I put on here? And, uh, you know, Roselle just popped in my, in my head. I'm, you know, I wanted to put something else in front of Roselle, but ended up, I didn't have enough space. So, uh, as I'm coming out of the, as I'm coming out of the tunnel, I remember John Madden was doing the game and I looked up at John and I, 
I showed him the showed him the headband. He he about fell out of his stool. He was laughing, and then uh, I didn't get fined that week. I actually got a call from Pete Roselle thanking me for the free advertising, and then um, you know he said, "Well, you can't wear it in the Super Bowl." And so, for some strange reason, I got a hold of the rule book. You know, the two weeks before the Super Bowl, after the championship game, and I'm reading through it. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, they, they shouldn't have been able to find me the first time. I said, so now I'm going to mess with them. And so I got sent headbands from all over the country, and uh, you know, some with just people's names on them, I mean, like Fred and Joe and stuff like that. But I decided I'm going to wear all charities because if they if they find me for wearing a charity, they're going to look stupid. And so, and Adidas really wanted me to wear the headband. I t- and I told Adidas, I'll wear it, but it, it might not be on my head. And so all during the pregame warm-up, I had the head referee chasing me around the field going, I can't let you on the field with that on. I said, I know, I know. And then it come down to the, uh, the national anthem. I'm standing there with Walter, myself, the head referee. And as soon as the anthem's over, I go to put on my helmet, and the ref grabbed me and says, I can't let you on the field. And I looked at him. And I started laughing. I go, yeah, but you can't do shit about this. And I pulled it down around my neck. And you can see the Adidas headband in every picture in that Super Bowl very clearly. And uh, the ref just started laughing at me. He goes, yeah, you're right. And so I grabbed the first charity. So every every series I wore a different charity. And at the end, I, it was uh, I had the Pluto on because that was a, a guy that I played with in college who was actually with the Bears in 1983, uh, and they found a brain tumor. And so he had just had his second operation just before the Super Bowl. And I just wanted him to know that I was thinking about him. And uh, so it turned out great. I didn't get any fines. And uh, the next year, though, they had a whole different uh, set of rules in the playbook. So or in the uh, rule book. But I got paid by Adidas. Didn't get fined. So it all worked out pretty good. While I got a quick second, support for the Boone podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. And guys, when it came to the equipment I used on the field, it was so important. From the bat I used to the glove I used to the spikes I wore. And when it comes to personal grooming, just as picky, Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, and the details on the 4.0 are next level. Also, the underwear. The underwear is unbelievable. They're as comfortable as any underwear I've ever worn. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code Boone. That's promo code Boone at Manscaped.com. Com. And now back to Jim McMahon. You jumped to 86. Uh, you followed up 14 and four. Um, and that was the year Charles Martin, kind of a cheap shot. I saw it on video. Comes up behind and body slams. Kind of. Hey, yeah. Well, you know, I'm trying. You guys are tough. You guys are NFL players. You know, we're wussy baseball players over here. But I looked at it and I'm going, all right, what's going through your mind? And what was the. Shortly thereafter, what were the what were the repercussions for that? Well, the funny thing is, I was you know there was a lot of bad blood between the Packers and the Bears back then. You know, Forrest Gregg and Mike Dickey didn't get along, and that trickled down to the players. And I was actually out the night before with uh, one of their defensive linemen, Packers defensive linemen, just having a beer. I had met the guy during one of uh, our senior uh, bowl games and stuff. Good dude. And he just said, hey, man, uh, watch yourself tomorrow because our coach doesn't like you. And he told us we get a shot on you to take it. So I thought that was cool of him to let me you know, at least let me know. And so I thought I would see it coming. You know, that Charles had come out there with a towel with a bunch of numbers on it. That, that was his hit list. And, uh, and I had thrown the ball. It was, you know, the play was over. I just, I just kind of eased up a little bit. And the next thing I know, you know, he grabbed me and threw me down so fast that uh, I didn't really realize what was happening. And then the first thing that hit the ground was basically the side of my head or the top of my head. And then my shoulder, my shoulder was already gone. But uh, that was the that was the start of all my head problems. I'm, I'm still dealing with today because my doctor said the only reason the only way your neck could get this screwed up is if you get dumped on your head. And I said, well, I'll show you the film. But I said, the doc, that was 1986. He said, well, you've probably been struggling since then. 
And so I, I'm, I'm still dealing with these head issues. I have to go back to New York every three months to get an adjustment just to uh, be able to function. And, you know, to me, in baseball, yeah, we have our fights. We have our, our thing. Eye for an eye. I love that. I, you know, I think we, we've gotten away from them in the game of baseball as far as, hey, you, we catch you doing something, you're going to wear one. You're going to get hit in the ribs. But yeah. that's, all in, that's all in front of you. And you know what's coming. Something like that happens, that big of a cheap shot. How how is that score settled in the NFL? What are, what are your teammates saying to you after that? After they see how it went down? Well, I mean, he wouldn't have lasted the game had they had he stayed in the game. I mean, they they ejected him right away. Uh, I don't think I ever had. I don't think we ever played them again with with him on the team. I think from there he went to Houston, and then um, I think he was in prison when he died. I mean, he had. I guess he. Did something to somebody else, ended up going to prison, died in prison. So uh, things work out. Yeah, so he, he never made it right with you after that? No, never talked to him. Wow. 87, 11 and 5, 88, 12 and 4. And uh, you end up moving on to the Chargers. That's a long run, you know, on some great Bears teams. Um how was that yeah, for we you? were in the playoffs Leaving. five years, five of the seven, and we had, we were in three NFC Championship games in those five years. So it wasn't like we were, you know, we went away. We were still there. Unfortunately, like I said, we just uh, didn't play well in the playoffs. How how do you feel about leaving Chicago and going? I think in eighty, yeah, you head to the Chargers. I mean, that's a long run. Your whole your whole professional career, all you know is Chicago Bears. All of a sudden, you're going to a new team. At at some point, as athletes, we we all have to move on. But how how was that yeah. for you when, when you had to leave? Well, yeah, I wanted to leave in '86. Basically, you know, I, I wanted to be traded. Uh, especially during that year, I was getting a lot of uh, heat from Ditka, and, and a couple of defensive guys were mouthing off. Uh, but uh, my shoulder was gone. I had no labrum in my sh- my right shoulder, and I dislocated it the first game of the season, and told the doctor that. And uh, for for the next ten weeks, all they did was uh, shoot it up to play. And some days I could I could throw and practice. Other days I couldn't move my arm. And I think he was telling, or the trainer was telling people on the team that I was faking it for some reason. And I said, why would I be faking it? And I said, two years ago, I played with, a, with half a kidney. I was bleeding to death, and I'm still playing. Now you're telling me I'm faking. I couldn't understand that. And so I was getting a little pissed off, and, and Dick and I weren't speaking, so I, I was ready to go. You know, I'd, I'd had enough, and uh, I was kind of glad I was, I, was, I was traded back in 89. I was kind of hoping to be traded in 87 and 88, but it didn't work out like that. One year with the Chargers, you head to Philly, where I grew up. What a, uh, I don't know. I think to this day, it's it's one of the best sports towns out there. Um, in '90, you come in behind Randall Cunningham. '91, you end up. I think he gets hurt. You end up being the starter, and you win Comeback Player of the Year. How you do? You enjoy your time in Philly? Yeah, I had a good time in Philly. I enjoyed those cheese steaks. I had one every right before every kickoff and I had one at the halftime every game. Uh, the fans were, as you know, the fans are pretty They're brutal. Crazy. They don't even like the, they don't even like the home team sometimes, but, uh, yeah, I had a good time in Philadelphia. You know, the fans, even though, you know, they, they can be a little rough on you. I, for some reason, they, uh, they weren't that bad for me. You know, I'd give it right back to them and then they love you. You know, you, you're walking into the stadium three hours before the game and they tell you guys suck. And we're like, Hey, we're the home team. Yeah, we know you guys suck, and then you yell back at them, and then they, they love you. So I never really had a problem with the fans there. You mentioned Buddy Ryan in in uh, Chicago. You end up being reunited with him uh, in Philly. Was that did that have anything to do with your move to Philly? Oh yeah, big time. Uh, we had played the, when I was with the Chargers. The uh, Eagles came out and played us. We ended up beating them. And uh, Buddy goes, "Hey, what are you what are you doing next year?" I said, I don't know. I just signed a one-year deal. So when Buddy called, I said, and I knew Philadelphia was going to be pretty good. You know, they had a hell of a defense with Reggie White and Jerome Brown, Seth Joyner, and I knew they were going to be good on defense. So that you know, if you're good defensively, you've always got a chance to get to go to the big game. And so I wanted a chance to get back to the big game, and that's why I went with Buddy. 
move on from Philly, head to Minnesota for a year, Arizona. Uh, then you're wrapping up your career in, in Green Bay and uh, probably the first time in your career that you were, you know, you're a backup. I think it was Favre there. You end up winning the Super Bowl in 96. How is that for, for an NFL quarterback, guy that's been there, done that, been on great teams, always been the man, and all of a sudden at the end of your career, you're taking that backup role and, and holding the clipboard. Is it, a, is it a shock to you? Do you enjoy it? Do you take that veteran attitude of, no, let's just win this thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew what, what, what my role is on that team. And, and uh, you know, Brett was in his fourth year. Um, you know, I got there I got there the last five games of 95. And we ended up losing the NFC Championship game that year. And so coming into training camp in 96, I told Brett, I said, hey, man, this is, this is working out just like it did in 85 for us. You know, we lost the NFC Championship game back in 84, come back, we knew we were going to be good, we ended up winning. I said, I said, the game is back in New Orleans again this year, the Super Bowl. And it's on the same day that we played. So I said, just don't screw this up. I want to get back there. And so he, you know, had a hell of a year. We ended up going to the Super Bowl down there and winning it in New Orleans. So it was kind of a, you know, 11 years apart. And we played the same team. That was, that was the weird part about it. We ended up playing the, uh, the Patriots again and beating them. So. Patriots are 0-2 in the Super Bowl until I retired. And they've done pretty well since. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. <laughs> and, and that, that, second, that, that second Super Bowl championship, uh, you know, Favre's at the helm, so uh, you're not right in the middle of it. Was it just as rewarding or – I don't know. It, it, it could be. I, I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts on it. Well, it, it was nice to get another ring, especially a nice, a nice big ring that the Packers gave us. We got the Bears were, you know, the Bears were the Bears. They gave us that little class ring looking thing. But uh, no, like I said, I knew, I knew what my role was. It was just great to be a part of that team. I thought Mike Holmgren was a hell of a coach. Um, I was, I was reunited with Reggie White again. I got to play with Reggie in Philly and in in, uh, in Green Bay. And you, you talk. There's another guy you talk about great players that never got there. You know, he played for 12, 13 years, and he, now he finally got to a Super Bowl. And so it was nice for him to get a ring. And, uh, you know, the Packer organization, I've said this before and, and pissed off a lot of people in Chicago, but the best organization that I had played for was Green Bay. I mean, from top to bottom, they just uh, they treated everybody the same. Everybody, you know, the, that whole town owns the team. There's really no one owner. And so it's a very unique situation up there and just um, – there's really nothing else in Green Bay <laughs> unless you ice fish, and I'm not much of that. So they uh, they really uh, support their team, and and uh, it's a it's a hell of an experience. Guys win the Super Bowl, uh, get invited to the White House. <laughs> You're wearing the Bears jersey. <laughs> that that's well, one of the, the funniest time, things I've seen. At the time, you know, we we the Bears never went. Uh, to the to the uh, White House after we won because the space shuttle had blown up two days after we won. So all the focus was there, you know, rightly so. But I think they could have snuck us in there. But, you know, I don't, we didn't go until uh, I think it was 30-some years after we had won. And uh, so I, I told all my teammates what I was going to do. I said, look, we didn't get to go to the, Super or the White House back in the day. I said, I'm going to represent my guys. And uh, none of my teammates had a problem with it. I told everybody. I told, the co I told Mike Holmgren what I was going to do. And uh, the only we had one coach that got a little pissed off at me, and that was uh, Fritz Shermer. He was our defensive coordinator. 
And I think Fritz was mad because it, it brought back some bad memories because he was the defensive coordinator for the Rams when we beat the Rams to go to the Super Bowl in 85. So I think that brought a little bad memory for him. But other than that, everybody had a good time with it. You know, Clinton had no idea what I was doing. I just said, hey, man, I, why are you wearing that? And I said, well, we didn't get to come back here, you know, 30 years ago or 11 years ago, whenever it was. And he said, uh, well, why not? I said, well, you remember the space shuttle blowing up? Well, that's that's something, that, you know, Jimmy, that's something there's not too many people could pull that off, but you could pull it off at this stage of your career. It's like, no, of course, McMahon would do that <laughs> uh, during the game. Actually, later in the in the Super Bowl that year, uh, Holmgren came to me and goes, hey, do you you want to you want to play? And I said, I said, I'm not mopping up for nobody. I said, you know, I, I played in this game when it meant something. I said, put in the young guy. I said, Doug, Doug Peterson was our third guy who was coaching in Philly there for a while. And I said, Doug, would, I think Doug would enjoy this. But I said, I'm not, I'm not going in and mopping up. No. But he ended up keeping bread in the whole game for some reason. But, but that's how that went down. Uh, 1998, you know, going back a little bit, uh, you're inducted the college football hall of fame. And, uh, 2014, and you said you went back and you finished your schooling. I'm, I'm still behind you on that. I still got three years, or I still got a year to go, but uh, your jersey's retired, number nine at, at BYU. Um, I don't know. I always think about the guys that I've had on the show. You know, there's the Hall of Fame, and then there's college, whatever. But when people get inducted into something, but when you get your jersey retired, unless you have a statue out front of the stadium, the jersey retired, it, to me, is a kind of a different level. Like, that's cool. Nobody can ever wear my jersey again on that team. Um, how was that for you? I, I don't know if that's a big deal in your eyes, but for me, anytime a guy's – it's one thing to get to get inducted into a Hall of Fame or, or a team Hall of Fame, but when you get that number retired, it's a different level for me. Was it for you? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. Um you know, a lot of people had worn that number over the years, and now they they can't wear it anymore. So that's being the last one to to uh, wear the number is, is always a pretty special thing. Uh, Two thousand six, you went to Iraq on a USO tour. This is to me was was really cool. Uh, you got to visit the the troops in the Middle East. Uh, take me through that trip. That's something I look at and go that that's something I would have loved to be able to do. Yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty. A pretty special deal. Uh, I've got to do a lot of really cool stuff with the military over the last 40 years. Um, I've driven, you know, pretty much all the tanks we have. I flew an F-16, a B-1 bomber. Uh, I've been in all all kinds of air, aircraft. Um, but I got an opportunity to go over there during wartime. And uh, it wasn't a regular USO trip. I mean, we went to places the USO wouldn't think of going. And we visited, I think it was 12 bases in four days. Um, you know, we flew all over Iraq and, and uh, Kuwait. And it was just awesome to, to, to see what was actually going on in, in, in real time. And um, I just remember we were, we were there when they hung Saddam. And we, you know, we tried to go to the hanging. They wouldn't let us go to the hanging. We thought that would be pretty cool. But... Um, you know, just to see what was what was happening, and we were landing. We were we we're in a chopper hovering outside of Baghdad the day that they uh, the afternoon they hung them in the morning. So that afternoon we're gonna we're gonna land in downtown Baghdad, and all you see is fires and mortars going off. And we're out there, and I said, "Hey, where are we going?" They said, "Right, right in the middle of that." And I said, "Why?" He said, "Well, that's where our base is." He goes, "We got to wait here for clearance," and so we finally go down there and we land and, you know, 20, 30 Marines surround you. You, you got your helmet on, your Kevlar, and uh, they take you into the, into the buildings. And then, you know, they, they show you what the operations are like. And uh, I remember getting mortared. It was uh, New Year's Eve and we're getting mortared. And so we go into this bunker and it happened to be a, a transportation battalion from Illinois. And so inside this bunker, there's a huge Chicago sea, everything's blue and orange. And it was uh, it was actually really cool. The first, that's probably the, the only uh, New Year's Eve that I've been sober on in the last forty years. You could, the, the Americans didn't have any booze over there; They're, they weren't allowed. But 
the Brits and the Aussies all had it. They didn't care. They go, hell, we're in war. We're going we're to go ahead and have a beer. But it was a great experience. Uh, and uh, I was supposed to go back the following year to Afghanistan. And uh, that got nixed. But, uh, you know, it's always fun to, to to hang out with the troops and listen to their stories. And, and to be actually in that war zone with them was was, uh, was a, definitely a highlight. Yeah, that real-life stuff. Uh Take you back. You can do it all over. Do it the same way. Change anything. Start to finish. Jim McMahon's career. Well, if I had my way, I would have went to Vegas. And I probably would have probably would have played baseball. But uh, like I said, it all worked out. And I think had I played baseball, my body wouldn't be feeling this bad right now. But, uh, you know, it's it's been a good life. Been a good run. You know, I got to, to raise four great kids. And now I got five grandkids. And uh, you know, things are, things are going well. I still have my folks with me. They're both 85 doing pretty good. So, you know, life's good. Jim McMahon, I appreciate you coming on the boom podcast. This was a pleasure, uh, legendary bear, man. And, uh, I'm looking forward to our next golf tournament and, and Jimmy, you'll be, you'll be wearing some golf shoes. Maybe. No. Now, barefoot, barefoot. Unless we're playing in Alaska and it's snowing. I ain't wearing no damn golf shoes. And and what we do uh, at the end of the Boone podcast is we kick it back to the voice. Dan Levy for a question from the fans. Dan. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Doing well. All right, Jim, this one comes from DJ in Chicago and wants to know this. The Bears have a quarterback right now by the name of Justin Fields. What's your impression of him? What do you think of him? Well, I don't watch a lot of football. I don't um, – I haven't watched for quite a while. I don't uh, – I, I love playing the game, but I'm not a big fan of it. I don't like watching. Um, I know well, he played, <clears throat> I know he played at Ohio State, so you got to be pretty good to be up there. And uh, from what I've been hearing, just a little bit uh, from people that have, have watched the Bears, they, they think he's going to be pretty good. So I wish him well, you know, but playing QB in Chicago is not the funnest, funnest job in the world, you know. And neither is being a coach. And right now, Coach Nagy out here is having a lot of troubles and is on the uh, hot seat. When you were in Chicago, you saw a lot of uh, storms with coaches, too. Does a coach like that who's under all that much pressure, do they usually do you think they should get fired or just keep giving them more chances? Uh, you know, it's not always the coach's fault. You know, the players, the players got to, uh, got a man up too at, at some point, you know, if the coaches aren't doing the right thing, then do it yourself. You think I listen to our coach all the time? <laughs> That's why we've gotten a lot of, a lot of heated arguments because they'd send in plays and I'd look at them and I said, no, that ain't going to work. And I do something else, but you got to have the balls to, to stand up and, 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 uh, you know, if you don't like what's being called, then, then do it yourself. But you, you got to man up and say, yeah, I did that. And either It either worked or it didn't. And I never had a problem, you know, taking the, taking the heat for something. Jim McMahon, thank you so much for coming on the Brett Boone Podcast, sir. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Brett, I'll see you at the next rodeo somewhere, kid. You got it, Jimmy. Thank you. Mailbag. Booter, you know that sound, right? Mailbag time, Dan. Oh, yeah. My favorite place to be. All right. This one comes to you, my friend. And this one comes from Jesse in Colorado. And Jesse wants to know this. Brett, top to bottom, your career. Is there anything that you would like a do-over on? Hmm. My career. Uh, yes. Oh, there's several things, several things. I would have taken a a bigger interest early in my career. I, I would have. Uh, uh, let, let me start that over, Dan. Ask me again. All right, Boone. This one comes from Jesse in Colorado. And Jesse wants to know this. Brett, top to bottom, your career. What would you like to do over on? If you, oh, if you I could I could pick a, a number of things. But when I, when I first came to the big leagues, I was very much a hair on fire. Let's go. 
hit the ball hard. You know, I was kind of all over the place. I didn't think it through. I just, I went out there and I played baseball and I hit and I, I played defense. As I got older in the second half of my career, I really started to take an interest in, in training and diet and, uh, really, um, I would ask questions to the great players and the great hitters. And I I had a formula how I went about the game. I had a plan for 162 games, each and every at bat. And, and uh, I really went through the mental side of of preparation. I didn't do that early in my career. And I think if I would have, if I would have initiated that as an, uh, you know, when I was younger, uh, I would have gotten to the levels I wanted to get to a lot quicker. Now, I never have regrets. You know, that's life. And, and we go on and we live and we learn. But if I could take something back, I, I would have started training earlier, dieting earlier. Uh, and I would have really taken on the mental side and, and the preparation. You know, Edgar Martinez, I, I mentioned him a lot. He was a, he was a big mentor of mine on how to prepare for, for the each and every at bat. And I would, I would have executed that earlier in my career. If, if I, uh, if I could do it all over again. All right. Big regrets. All right. Next one in the mailbag. This one comes from Jeff in Hollywood. And Jeff wants to know, Brett, anybody in the big leagues right now, remind Brett Boone of Brett Boone. Oh, Man, that's really a tough one for me. Um, I not really, not really. I, I I'm trying to think who's the who's the center fielder for the Bellinger. Bellinger's left-handed swing was similar to my right-handed swing. And I know Bellinger didn't have a, a very good season this year, but he's coming off an MVP a couple of years ago. Actually had a big postseason for him. But it, as far as re- reminding me of myself, I, I really don't watch the game and think, oh, he reminds me of me. You know, we always have a tough time looking at ourselves. We're always looking to, to compare players to other players, but never yourself. So I really haven't thought about it in that, in that vein. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 